Let me tell you why you're here. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. You are light bearers. Don't hide under a bucket. Shine. 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 Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. We're going public with this. God is not a secret to be kept. Here's another way to put it. We're taking this to the streets. Good evening, young dudes. <laughs> yeah, how are you guys doing tonight? You okay? Feeling pretty good on a Thursday. How many of you are feeling kind of the anxiety of it being like July and you're like, where's my summer? You know, and you like love summer. That's how I feel at least. That's why you have to come to the meetup because it's going to be like a party where we're like outside and warm and like we get to enjoy ice cream together. Like you got to do it. You have to be there because man, summer is the best season. I love the snow. I love snowboarding. But this, oh, this summer, you guys, is like just getting away from us as we speak, is it not? And so um, we are in a series called The Streets, The Streets. And this is all about the reality that we exist to make heaven more crowded. And if you come to Young Adults, if you come to Red Rocks Church, what you need to understand is we love Jesus, but more than that, we're so excited about other people knowing God. We love what we have, and we want other people to have it. And so it's important for us that we take our message outside of this box that we call the church, and we take it to the streets. We base our entire series off of Matthew 5, where it says that we are the light of the world. And this isn't a secret that we keep. We don't keep it a secret, this Christ that we have in us, but we're going public with this. That means we take it to our zip codes. That means we take it to zip codes that make us uncomfortable. That means we take this message anywhere that God will let us go, and we take it to the places that matter. We take it to the streets, okay? And um, for those of you who were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about some stats within the city of Denver. The reason I want to talk about them again is because I think it's important that you understand kind of the times and the epics in which you are now living. We live in a city that is one of the youngest cities in the United States of America, let alone the world. I said this a few weeks ago, but there are 700,000 people in the city of Denver. In the Denver metro area, there are 2.8 million people. And listen to this stat. There are over 36% of those people are between the age of 18 and 24. Over a third of 2.8 million people are 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old, 21 years old. That means that this city is young, it is educated, it is driven, it's a lot like you. And according to Barna, this generation is the most unchurched generation of all time. They call it a post-Christian, a post-post-Christian generation, meaning there is no common narrative for these people about Jesus. There's no common narrative about God. So you ask them anything about God or if they go to church and they're like, like for a funeral, like people do not know. And yet this, is, this generation is more open to spirituality than any other generation prior, meaning they don't know God, but something in them wants to know God. Jesus said that the fields are white for the harvest. 
for those of us who are looking. And I think it's amazing because according to recent research it's a, um, from Barna, they also said that while they are open to spirituality, the thing that will probably most influence their faith doesn't have to do with lights, it doesn't have to do with sounds, it doesn't have to do with awesome preaching, although we will all do our best. It doesn't have to do with a cool church building. The thing that will influence the faith of a young adult that is alive now most is the faith and the influence of their peers, meaning you. And so God is looking at a room full of people and he's like, okay, Jess is going to rip the stage in half tonight, but it does not matter unless you carry the message too. It does not matter unless you are willing to go and be with your friends in your zip codes and take this message to the streets. And so what I want to talk to you about tonight is the reality that you do not need to be perfect you do not need to have a degree in biblical studies. You do not need to have gone to eight years of Awanas and all of the VBSs ever. And you don't need to have Galatians 2.20 memorized and the evangelical statement of faith memorized in order to share the gospel. You don't need to know everything. All you need to know is what you have come to know. And when I talk about that knowing, I mean a deep, profound knowing from colliding with the living God in your life. All that God wants you to share with the world isn't everything, but it is one thing. And so I titled tonight, All I Know. And so if you're taking notes, write it down, All I Know. And I'm praying some people get mad and courage tonight. Um, bow your heads. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be here. God, I thank you for every single individual in here. Thank you for their trust, God, in this ministry. God, I thank you um, for your holy word, your holy written word. God, I thank you for every single person watching online. I pray you bless them. God, I pray that people would walk out of here with a profound sense of who you are, that we would know you more, God, and we would be just fervently pursuing the people that you tell us to pursue, that we would care about your people. We would take care of your business, God, and we know that when we do that, you will take care of our business, God. And so we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Um, have you ever been in an environment where you felt pressure to know something and, let, and yet you did not know? You know what I mean? Um, like you're the one that's in charge of driving to a place, right? And you're like, oh, I know where that, pla that place is, that destination. Get in my car, you know, but you don't really know. And so you get in like, you get in like halfway to downtown and you're like, oh, there's one-way streets down here. Like, you know what I mean? And like, you just, you actually don't know. You know, you actually don't know. And, you know, everybody's kind of looking at you as you make a funny turn, right? Or you're like backing up down a one-way street and you're like, I actually don't know, you know? And they're like, yeah, we fit, you know, or maybe you've got um, this thing, there's an actual term when you take a test called test-taking anxiety. And what it is, is you get in the middle of a test and you have so much anxiety. Now, this is not an excuse to go tell your professors when you go back to school, okay, but this is not like, like be like, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't take this test. I have test-taking anxiety. Like, don't do that. <laughs> Okay, but there's a real thing called test-taking anxiety. It means you get in the middle of a test and you feel the pressure to know something so much that it actually makes your brain like, like synapses just like explode, right? And so it's like, what's two plus two? And you're like, <laughs> five, like you don't know anything, right? Have you ever been in a circumstance where you feel pressure to know and it makes you feel like, man, I don't know. 
Um, when I was in uh, high school, I was actually pretty good at chemistry. Now, for those of you who go to mines, don't come up here and quiz me because I, like, I lost all of those brain cells with children, okay? And so, um, and so you don't like be like, stoichiometry, like I don't remember anything, okay? So, but when I was in high school, I was actually pretty good at chemistry. And so, um, and I wasn't like Berkeley good at chemistry or like Stanford good at chemistry. I was like introduction to sophomore chemistry good, you know what I'm saying? And, but I was decent enough at it that my uh, teacher came up to me and she said, Jess, we have a space open on our chemistry team. And I was like, what? Say what? Oh, that's a thing? You know, and she's like, and we need you to be a part of this deal. And I was like, okay, um, I'll do that. That sounds fun. I like chemistry a lot. And she's like, cool. So we have a chem bowl next week. Now, if you're wondering what a chem bowl is, it's like a Super Bowl, but it doesn't involve any sports and it's for all the kids that ate hot lunch at school. Okay. <laughs> and so, and so you roll into this place that's like offsite um, of the school, you know, and I'm rolling in and everybody there is wearing like socks with Birkenstocks and like plastic belts, everything. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be a jean jacket. It is tucked in. Um, <laughs> doesn't matter, right? And everyone there is named like Melvin, but it's like Melvin the fourth. <laughs> and you're like, okay, like, I don't know what's happening in this place or George the third, right? And Melvin probably in his normal environment wasn't too intimidating, but in Kemble, Melvin the fourth was like an ominous figure. Like he'd roll in and he's like five foot, you know, and you're just like, I am so scared right now, right? Because this was like his territory. And I roll in and I have, I've never been to one of these things. And um, I'm already like deeply intimidated because everybody clearly knew like how this all went down. They'd been there before. And I'd never been. And I never did well in like, like rapid fire stuff where you had to like know right away. I'd never done well at that. So I should have known I would have been terrible at this. So they have me stand across from this dude, Melvin will say, right? And I'm like, sup, Melvin. But I'm like, not, I know I'm not gonna kill this one, right? And he's so ready and they put a buzzer in between you, I kid you not. And then they begin to ask you questions. And it's like, it was the longest three and a half minutes of my life. Like I just, and I just remembered like freezing and sweating and being like, oh my God. I didn't answer a single question that day. I just like stood there and looked at him, you know? And part of me was like, if I like show him shoulder, will he like just forfeit? <laughs> like I just was like, I didn't know how to win, you know? I feel pressure to know, and yet you feel like you don't know. Feel pressure to know, and yet you don't know. And I think sometimes in Christian environments, it can be like this. I got saved when I was 17 years old, and for those of you who are new believers, I just want to encourage you, man, what a fun road, but what a crazy road it is to be a new believer, because I remember reading the Bible for the very first time, and this thing was like a foreign language to me, and I knew I needed help. So I began to um, it, you know, withdraw all my applications to public universities, and I began to apply to Christian universities, and I remember the very first time that I sat in a Christian school in a Christian classroom. And I roll in, and it's introduction to Old Testament, and I'm like, oh, hey, you know, and I'm so excited. And I sit down, and all of a sudden, he's like, turn to the book of Joel. And I'm like, and everyone knows. Everyone's like, <laughs> And I'm like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> this is so real for me. I was like, oh, and I, like, they did it in, like, 0.5 seconds. It's 20 minutes later, and I'm like, maybe I should go to the table of contents. You know, like... <laughs> 
I just was like, I do not know. I don't know. And everybody knew about these biblical characters, and it was assumed in the class that everybody knew who these people were, and I didn't know who these people were. And they would talk about Samuel or David or, you know, and they'd be like, oh, that Esther. And I, like, was like, I don't know who that girl is. And they they would talk about terms like sola scriptura and Torah and, man, the Ark of the Covenant. And I'd be like, what? Like, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Like, I had no idea and so because of that I would ask really I mean at the time I actually think they were really great questions but everyone in the classroom knew and I did not know so it would be like oh it'd be talking about how the Israelite army stood fast while God like decimated an entire uh, enemy army and I'd be like oh and I'd raise my hand and I'd be like so um so were they all killed by angels And the guy's like, you know, um, in this case, yes, not in every case, but in this case, it was an angel army. And I'm like, okay, so um, do people, do angels still do that? You know, like, like, I don't know, you know? And I remember one day asking a question about Sodom and Gomorrah, and I mispronounced it, and I said Saddam and Gomorrah. And at this time, Saddam, Saddam was like killing Shiites, and he was like all up in the news. And so, like, all of the Awanas kids were like, <laughs> you know. And I was like, I mean, I was like horrified, you know what I mean? And the entire time I walked in there and I was like, and I just felt this pressure to know. And yet I did not know. And no matter, I mean, I'm 10 years, I'm over 10 years into this thing now, over 10 years into this thing now, and I've learned a lot. But listen, you can know a lot about the Bible, and you should feed your soul with the Bible, and you should feed yourself with God's truth. You should never stop doing that. But no matter how much knowledge you gain, you are always going to be put in environments, Christian, where you are going to be expected to know, where you are going to have pressure on you to know, and yet you will feel like, I don't know. And what God wants you to understand is that he doesn't expect you to know everything. He just expects you to know one thing. And so if you can turn your Bibles to John 9, we're going to be hanging out there tonight. John 9, amen and amen. All right, it says this. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read a lot of scripture tonight. If you haven't read your Bible in a year, I'm going to catch you up. You ready? All right. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it uh, was not that this man had sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when we cannot work any longer. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes in mud. And he said, said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Then the neighbors, those who had seen him before as a beggar, were saying, is this not the man who was used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. Um, but he kept saying, I am the man. And so they said to him, how are your eyes then opened? And he answered, the man named Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and he said, go to Siloam and wash. And I did. So when I washed, I received my sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. So Jesus goes wandering around. I love when like scriptures like Jesus wandered. I'm like Jesus knows exactly what he's doing all the time and in all places. Okay, he goes to kill, he goes to heal this dude because he knows he's there. 
He has an intentionality. So Jesus is wandering around, and he's like, oh, blind guy, I'm going to heal you. You know, so he meets up with this blind kid who has a congenital blindness, meaning he has, it wasn't that like he once saw and now he no longer sees. He has never actually seen anything. He was born blind, meaning all of his life has been spent in darkness. It has been a perpetual nighttime for him up until this moment. I was interviewing a woman a few years ago named Anna. She uh, used to come to Red Rocks Young Adults. I hope you still come, Anna. It was a couple years ago, so I'm not sure. And at some point, um, she actually lost her eyesight. And she said in this interview about her faith in the middle of just this intense scenario, she said, I woke up one day and I couldn't tell if it was nighttime or if it was daytime anymore. And and I thought, man, is it the middle of the night? And it was like 10 in the morning. For this man, he lived in perpetual nighttime. That's how he always lived. That's how he felt through his life. He could only hear and he could only touch. Now, in first century Judea, if you were born with a deformity or you had some type of ailment or you had some type of sickness, it was believed that you had this because it was your fault, okay? You had done something or an ancestor had done something or a parent had sinned. Somebody in there had sinned. They actually believed that a baby in utero could make some decisions that were pretty, pretty risque. And in that moment, moment because of your sin you would be born with a deformity and so because of that there was very little compassion the way that we have compassion toward disabled people in this in this country that was not there there was very little compassion towards this man there was very little empathy towards this man if anything disciples were like who sinned that he's like that whose fault is it that this kid is like this and Jesus says whoa and if you're ever wondering how Jesus feels about people you should always look for the loser in the room because that's who he's hanging out with Jesus is always looking for the underdog he's always looking for the people that don't have it he's always looking for the people that feel most on the outskirts and he's like you we're hanging out and I'm healing you and so he's with this kid and he kind of bows up in this moment and he's like it's not because of his sin it's not because of his parents sin in other words this scenario is not because of something this kid did it's because of something I want to do in him and some of you tonight you need to understand that God will heal you and redeem you because of decisions you've made you've made poor decisions you've made decisions that have hurt you that have affected you and God is capable of redeeming you and he's so good that way but he is also so good to heal you and redeem you when you did not ask for you did not get a vote in the scenario that you found yourself in he said this is not because of a decision he made this is because of something I'm going to do in and through him and I'm going to heal him and he says I'm going to do this while it is still day And there's an urgency. When Jesus says this, there's an urgency to what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not always going to be with you physically. I'm not always going to be here in the here and now, and I'm not always going to be. And so while it's still day, we got stuff to do. We got works to do. What you need to understand is right after this, he says, we must do the works that he has given us. We, meaning Jesus and his disciples, meaning Jesus and me, meaning Jesus and you. As long as we have breath, there is an urgency for us to complete the works that God has given each of us. And so he says, we got to get on it. we got to go heal this kid. And so he leans down, he spits in some mud, and he walks over to the kid. He makes mud, and he wipes it on his eyes. And some of you in here who are hypochondriacs, you're like reaching for the Purell as I tell the story, right? What you need to understand is that in Genesis 2, God made Adam, the very first man, out of dirt. 
And what commentators believe is that in this moment, Jesus is actually reaching down into dirt and he is making this man new eyes out of mud. He says, I need you to go, go to this pool, Salome. And because the dude is so good at walking around blind, he's, he's been there, he's done that, he knows how to do it, he goes over, he washes himself, and for the first time, he sees. For the very first time, he sees. This man who has lived in perpetual darkness, since he was a baby, he has clawed his way through life and felt his way through utter darkness. Everything has constantly been shadow around him and constantly been nighttime around him. And for the very first time, he sees. And when he opens his eyes, Jesus says in, in, in the beginning of John, he says, I'm the light of the world. When this man opens his eyes, he actually sees the light of the world along with light. And Jesus like has him stand up and he's like looking around and he's like, Oh my, and I picture Jesus being like, I made all this. Great, right? <laughs> and this kid is pumped. I mean, he is so amped because he's never seen anything. He's only heard stuff. And so he's like, what's that? And Jesus is like, it's a tree, man. It's a tree, dude. Yeah, that's a tree. And he's like, I've heard it. I've heard it. I, what is that? What is that? It's a color. That's a color. It's green. And he's like, green is sick, man. You know? And he's like, what's that? It's a dog. That's a dog. He's like, what's that? That's a girl. He's like, okay. You know? Like, he's like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. For the very first time, he sees. He's like, what is that? That's blue, bud. That's a sky man. You probably didn't even know it existed until now. That's the sky. I made that too. And he goes home, and he is so amped. Homeboy's just like, oh, my gosh, the colors are overwhelming to him. I mean, he can't even, he looks at an apple, and he's like, I don't even, this is too much. Like, so, it's overloading his senses. And he's not trying to show off in this moment, but people start talking about him. They're like, isn't that the, that's the kid. That's the, whoa, that's the kid that was born blind. But then it says this. It says people start to disagree because that's humanity, right? Like, we love to fight with each other. And so they're like, no. They're like, this kid, act, that's not the kid that was born blind. It just looks, it just looks like him, Right? It just looks like the kid that was born blind. Here's what it is, is that you need to understand about this moment, is that miracles assault our senses. And so we will do whatever it takes to explain them away, to minimize their effect, to make them seem like they never happened. And so they look at him and they're like, no way, either, either something's up, this is some kind of trick, this is somebody's fooling us, or that's not the kid. It's like a wax figure of him. You know what I mean? Like, that's not him. And so they begin to argue, and then they take him to the Pharisees. And it says this. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. And now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received sight. And he said to him, he put mud on my eyes, homies, and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, um, how can a man such a, that is a sinner do such things? And there was division among them. So the story continues for another 20 verses. And it's essentially the Pharisees just grilling this kid and grilling his parents and grilling anybody that was there for the miracle. 
And I think sometimes when we think about the moment where we get to maybe share God with people or like, you know, we're in a moment of worship and we love him so deeply and so profoundly and we're like, we do want other people to have this hope and we kind of picture it and it's like a picnic bench or like a bench on a hill and like the skies are pretty and there's like snow white birds, right? And we sit with a homegirl and we're like, hey, I just wanted to talk to you um, about eternity and, um, and wanted to talk to you about Jesus. And she's like, I have been waiting for you to talk to me about Christ. And no, you know, like what actually happens is that the moment we collide with the living God, he does something to us. And the moment that that happens, you don't even need to go looking for those kind of discussions because they come looking for you. Because the moment you get saved, the moment you get healed, the moment he does some power, some work, some miracle in your life, the questions start coming. How did this happen? What's up with you? You look different. You're acting different. Who are you hanging out with now? People will ask you some sticky questions. And so the first thing we can learn from John 9 is that if you are in here and you are a follower of God, you have met the living God and he has moved in your world, you can just expect that as a byproduct of that, there will be questions that are a little bit uncomfortable that come into your life. And so the first thing I want to talk about is let the questions begin. Let the questions begin. This man, all homeboy did was get healed. He gets healed by Jesus and immediately it's like, what's up with you? And who healed you? And how did he heal you? And where'd he go? You know? And he's like, I just would like to, is there a flat screen? I've heard those are cool. <laughs> and what you need to understand is that if you are a believer, that the moment God meets you, the moment he moves in your life, there's going to be questions and they are going to be uncomfortable. I remember right before I worked here at Red Rocks Church, I had graduated from a Christian university and was excited to work in ministry, but it just didn't pan out that I got a job in ministry right away. So I waited tables for three years. It was a long roadmap. Don't worry about it. God knows what's up. And so I was like, let's wait tables. And so every day I would go into work and every day I was met with questions. And so I remember rolling into work one, one Easter Sunday, actually, and I was working with this guy, Paul. And Paul came up to me, and he's like, hey, he's like, you go to church, right? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, so today's Easter. Um, I know it's not about bunnies and peeps and stuff. Um, what's it about? And I was like, kind of caught off guard. And I was like, oh, dude. And I felt God kind of just in that moment. I said, dude, Easter's sweet, man. I said, um, see, we believe that Jesus is the son of God. And then on Good Friday, he died for all of our sins. What's even cooler than that is we believe that on Sunday, three days later, his body rose again and his person rose again. And in that moment, he defeated death. And so death doesn't win anymore, man. That's why we celebrate Easter. It's awesome. And he was like, and I was like, you want to you wanna talk about it? And he was like, yeah. So fast forward a couple weeks and there's this guy named Trevor and we're setting up for a banquet in the back and um, we're kind of hanging out and talking and whatever. And he's like, so, and he's kind of following me and he's like, so Jess, um, so, um, so, you know, life's been kind of different. I was laying in bed the other night. It's been a little hard. And so um, I prayed, um, you got any pointers or anything? And I was like, I was like, okay, man, like, let's talk, you know? Fast forward a couple weeks after that, and I'm hanging out with this kid, John, who I knew was a burned out pastor's kid. Like I knew was like, his dad was a pastor and something didn't work out. And so that's his story. And so I'm running food that night, and so I'm, like, lifting food and, like, you know, hauling it to somebody's table. And he's kind of just, like, constantly following me. And he's like, so, Jess, I saw that movie Religious. And I was like, okay. 
cool, man. And he's like, well, it's all about religion and how religion's dumb. And I was like, cool, I think so too. And um, he's like, so, 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 um, but, you know, I agree with it. And I was like, well, I don't know what the movie's about, John, so you're going to have to tell me. He's like, well, I, I agree that God doesn't exist. And I was like, no, John, that's the dumbest thing you've said all night. <laughs> I said, John, I looked him right in the eyes, and I could feel the, like, Lord in that moment. I said, John, you have never had a supernatural experience ever in your entire life. Like, one, I don't believe you. But two, that's dumb. And he was like, well, no. He's like, I, I, I believe in God. I mean, I, I believe in God. I just, I don't know what I think about the Bible. And I was like, cool. You want to talk about that? If you are a believer, sometimes you actually don't need to go hunting for the discussion. Sometimes the discussion comes hunting for you. Sometimes the questions, and you need to understand that what Jesus is asking of you in this moment, what he's asking of you is to have an open heart, to not be defensive. To not be like, to, to not be offendable. To just be like, okay, man, like, you're my friend. I love you. Care about you. You're my coworker. Let's, um, let's have a discussion. Ask me anything you want. I will do my very best. God doesn't ask you to know everything, but he does ask you to know one thing. It says this in 1 Peter. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. Always be prepared. Always be prepared. The moment you walk into the grocery store, you just kind of need to like get ready because it's coming. The moment you walk into a workout, the moment you go out on a date, the moment you sit down with your roommate at the dining table, you need to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that the message of God now is no longer written on stone tablets like the great commandments. It is written on the hearts of man and according to scripture, everybody can read you. So the moment moment you walk into a space they're like what is up with you or you're like there with a posse of friends or like one night I'm on a date with John and like this couple walks up and they're like why are you so happy <laughs> people are gonna be like where's your joy come from where what you just lost your job like why do you have peace where do you have that hope there is a world that is difficult and dying and doesn't offer anything good to people. Promises everything, offers nothing actually. And this world is dying to know a real and authentic hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. We have a world that is sick from lack of hope. And God says, the only thing you need to do is to give a reason for the hope that you have. Why do you have hope, young adult? Why do you have hope tonight? If you walked in here and you feel hopeless, what you need to understand is that God is so for you that he gave his son. How much more would he give you everything that you ever ask? He is so with you. He is so for you. He has a hope and a future for you. What is the hope that you have? That is all that Jesus is asking you to share with people. He says, give an answer, be prepared in season, out of season to give an answer. You know what this scripture doesn't say? It doesn't say you need to be prepared to give an answer for six-day creationism. It doesn't say you need to be prepared to tell people why or how Noah got two of every animal on the boat. It doesn't say you need to be able to explain or not explain dinosaurs. It doesn't say any of that. God says, I just want you to explain to people what I've done for you. That's it. 
Let the questions begin, folks. They are coming. The only question is, how are you going to answer them? And the way that Jesus would like you to answer them is, where is your hope? It's not in this world. It's not in your Instagram. It's not on your Facebook account. It is not going to come through money. It is not going to come through 401k accounts. It is not going to come through your boyfriend. It is not going to come anywhere except through him. And so where is your hope tonight? The questions are coming. How are you going to answer them? And so the questions come to this kid. Man, they are just getting after him. It says this, The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? The parents answered, You rude dudes. (laughs) Yes, this is our son. And yes, he was born blind. I taught him how to crawl when he couldn't see. I mean, can you feel like how opposed some people are to God sometimes? But how he sees, we do not know, nor who opened his eyes. He asked him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents uh, said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, they'd be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, ask him, he is of age. So, for the second time, they call homeboy over. And blind man said to them, give glory to, or, and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. Only one thing I do know, though, that I was blind, and now I see. So the Pharisees get squirrely with his mama, and they're like, hey, mama, is homeboy, was he really blind? Is this really your kid? Like, they're so rude. It just blows my mind. And she's like, yes, that's my son. Like, you know, and, and yes, he was blind. And then, but they're so afraid of being put out of the synagogue. They say, just go ask him. Just, he can speak for himself. He's of age. And so then they begin to get up in his business. And they're like, okay, okay, so you, so, okay, a, mir- a miracle took place. Like, tell us about that. Tell us about that. How were you, uh, how were you, you know, how did this all come about? Tell us again, okay. And by what power did he heal you? And where did he come from? And the, God's watching you, by the way. And um, so tell us that he's a sinner. Tell us these things. And, and the kid, I love it. He's like, look, uh, look, cool. You guys are intense, all right? Um, I don't know anything that you're talking about. I don't know if he's a sinner. I actually don't know that. Um, all I know is what he did for me. All I know is I was blind. And now I see. Which leads me to the second thing. When it comes to sharing the world hope that you have, sharing with the world the hope that you have, is that it is okay, young adult, to say, I don't know. But one thing I do know. I don't know. But one thing I do know. I don't know. But all I know is, the kid looked at him and he's like, look, I don't know. I don't know where he's going. I don't know where homeboy came from. All I know is that I did not, I never saw until now. That's my story. Like, what do you want from me? This is my story. Tony Campolo wrote a book called Let Me Tell You a Story, and in it, um, he's a super intelligent dude. He taught at the University of Pennsylvania. He had two students in the 60s that were going on to graduate work at Cambridge. One of them was a Marxist and was, in, to, his, to his description, was one of his brightest students he has ever had. The other student was a Christian, and he actually said this kid had average intelligence, which I kind of was like, cool, Tony. Um, And in this, he describes that the two of them were going to be roommates at Cambridge, and he feared for his Christian uh, student. He feared that he was going to be talked out of his faith by this Marxist student. 
he meets up with them a couple months later, and what had happened was this Marxist had actually become a Christian. And he's like, he's like, well, tell me about, tell me about what happened. And they were like, well, we'd argue every night. And the Marxist, his name was Caleb. We'd argue every night, and Caleb's talking. He's like, we'd argue every night, and every night I would win because I'm way smarter. And every night, this kid, this Christian kid would say the same thing. He'd say, Caleb, you are so smart, man, and you have outwitted me in every intellectual capacity, um, but I'm not going to change my mind um, because I've actually experienced the living God, and I've actually connected with him in a real way. And so even though you won this argument, I just can't, I can't change my mind, man. And every night this took place for months until the kid, this, this kid Caleb was like, what is going on with this dude that he has some type of knowledge that goes beyond knowledge? That he has some type of knowing that goes beyond knowing. And he began to investigate the scriptures, and it was soon after that that he received Jesus into his heart. I talk to young adults all the time who are in discussions that are difficult. They're like, Jesse, I was just asked the other day, if God is a loving God, why, why, are, why do we suffer? Which I can answer that for you. It's because we live in a fallen world. He's not a fallen God, but it's fine. But he's like, why do we suffer? These are difficult questions. Why does God let children starve to death? These are difficult questions. You'll talk to Christians who love to argue about like different you know, nuances in scripture. And they're like, I just got into an argument about like Calvinism or atheism and, or uh, uh, Wow, Calvinism or Arminianism, and they're like, and you know, I got really into it, but I actually don't know. And I'm like, that's okay, that's actually fine. Listen, if you are in here and you feel called to be an apologetics study major, please do. We have a uh, right now. We don't have enough people that are knowledgeable enough about how to argue our faith. We need that more in this generation. If you feel called to be a theology major, please do. But even then, you are going to be faced with some tough questions in this life. And can I just free you up? There are some things that I don't know, and I'm okay not knowing them. Because there's one thing I do know. The blind man, he looks at these people, and he's like, look, I don't know, man. You guys got good questions, man. You're so smart. But one thing I do know. And same thing with the Penn Penn University student. He was like, Man, you are so smart. You have, wow, you are a wizard at arguing. You are so, wow, your academia is through the roof, like witty points for you, right? He's like, but you're not going to change my mind. I don't know everything, but one thing I do know. And it is a good exercise, young adult, to remember what God has done for you. Some of you walked in here tonight, and you don't have faith because you don't exercise that faith. It is a good exercise to remember what he's done for you. Do you remember what it was like when Jesus found you? Do you remember where you were? Maybe for you, you were addicted to drugs. Maybe for you, you were burnt out on religion. Maybe for you, you were thinking about taking your life. Maybe for you, your life was completely fake. You know, you lived it entirely online. You felt completely lonely. And then he came to you, and do you remember? I remember for me, when, where I was when Jesus found me. I was a perfectionist that was burning out on trying to find success in this life. And I remembered feeling a deep, profound, gaping hole that no amount of like money or like academia or achievement could, could fill within me. I, was, I had a hole inside of me, a fracture in my soul, and I knew it was there. And then do you remember, young adult, what it was like when he found you for the very first time? 
Do you remember what it was like when he whispered in your ear and he's like, hey, you're not alone. You're not alone. Do you remember what it was like when he revealed to you that he actually has a plan for you? Do you remember what it was like the very first time hope like, came in your heart and it like, was more real than anything you'd ever felt in your entire life? It is good to remember your story, and your story, young adult, is strong. Your story is powerful. It is good to remember what you have been brought out of and what you have been brought into. You looked up from your darkness, didn't you? Just like this kid, just like this blind kid, and for the very first time, you saw light. According to Revelations, the Bible says that we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. What it's saying in this moment is that you are going to have to use your words at some point with people. You are going to actually have to talk about the hope that you found, and I promise you that as you talk about your hope, it's actually going to build your faith. As you talk about what he's done for you, you are going to write it down tonight. Below you, there are cards underneath you, and I invite you now or during worship to write down his story. Where were you when he found you? Where were you when he found you? And what kind of hope did he bring into your life? Because according to Revelations, your story is strong, stronger than you know. And listen, the world can talk you into a corner and it's going to try to. The world can try to push you into the corner with its intelligence and with its academia. And it is possible, church, that they can take away your religion, but they cannot take your story. It's okay to say, I don't know everything, but one thing I know. And the last thing is this, and Ben, you guys can come back up here. Ask a question. Ask a question. So this kid is getting grilled. The story goes on and it says this. Then they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've already told you. And you did not listen. Do you want to hear it again? And then he says this. He says, do you want to become his disciples too? I think sometimes people grill Christians because they see the hope that's written on our life. And they can't compute it. And they can't figure it out. And so they're asking questions and asking questions. And what's up with this? And how come, you, how come you don't do these things? And how come you do do these things? And what's up with you reading that book, man? It's old. Like, and they ask you questions and they ask you questions and they ask you questions. And then at some point, young adult, you are going to feel the Holy Spirit talk to you. And he's going to say, okay, I think it's time for you to flip the switch a little bit. It's time to flip the script. And you ask the questions. And you can ask a myriad of questions. I love this kid. He's like, he actually kind of goes off on them later in scripture. I'll let you read it. And homeboy kind of takes them to town. It's pretty cool. But in this moment, he goes, do, do you want what I have? You've been asking what I know, and you've been asking what I know, and you've been asking what I know. Is it because you want what I know? Is it because you want to know what I know? Maybe they're asking you questions, young adult, because they're waiting for you to ask a question. And maybe that question is as simple as, hey, do you want to come to church? It's not hard. Listen, if you're terrified to talk about it, I'll talk about it. Bam. <laughs> Just kidding. Not like that. I'll be really grateful. <laughs> invite them to church. Invest in them and invite them. Ask them a question. Hey, man, how are you doing these days? Um, can I pray for you? Ask them a question. Hey, who do you think Jesus is? Judah Smith, a few years back, did a whole campaign, and it was based on who people thought Jesus was. It was just, Jesus is blank. 
And people wrote in from all over Seattle, people from barber shops and, and basketball courts, people from, you know, brothels. Like, I don't even know, man. It was from all over the place. And people said, I think Jesus is this. And you know what's crazy is nobody, nobody said, I think Jesus is a total loser. And it opened up discussions to talk about God. Right now in the UK, there's this thing called the Alpha Project. It's insane, okay? If you know anything about Europe, you know that it is a dead country when it comes to Christianity like completely it is a dead continent and right now in the UK they're doing this thing called the Alpha Project where they invite people into the church and then they ask them a simple question who do you think God is God is what God is who and these people come in and they they come in for a couple days in a row and they just they talk they talk they ask them a question and they talk you know it's nuts this is crazy to me I texted a pastor this week. I said, hey, what's the rate? Because people are getting saved there like at a crazy rate. He said over 80% of people that come in those doors, they, get, they receive Christ. Maybe it's time that you don't hide your story anymore. And you begin talking to a world, listen, that does not have the hope that you have. That so desperately, the reason they're coming after you is because they want it. It's not because they want to deny it. I actually love atheists because I think, man, you're closer than you know. <laughs> Maybe it's time you ask them a question. You ask them a question. Underneath your chair, there is a place where we wrote out a very simple gospel. And on one side is just a simple gospel. You can keep it in your Bible. You can read it. You can maybe rewrite it in your own words, and that's the way you can describe it to people. On the reverse side of that, I would love for you to write your story. God's done something in your life. I actually don't doubt it at all. He's moved in your world because that's who he is. And you should write it down because his life bought it. And once you write it down, you should share it with at least a couple people. And then once you share it with a couple people, maybe ask them how their life is. Maybe ask them where they get hope from. Maybe you ask them a question. We're going to be spending some time here worshiping, and as we do so, you can write down your story, but with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just have one question. I'm going to ask you one question, young adult, and I believe that there's one person in here. There might be more, but there's one person in here, and you walked in here, and you are on your last leg. I know it. You don't feel like you can go on past tonight. You think you're done. And God wants you to know, I'm just getting started in your life. And so if you are in here tonight and you would like to receive Jesus and receive hope in the form of something real and true and good, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But listen, hope is so concrete that the Bible says it's the one thing we can hold on to when everything else gives way and we find hope in Jesus Christ. And so if you are in here tonight and you do not know him and you're like, that's me, that's who, I'm the person you're talking about. I can't go on without him. And you want to receive him for, to, for tonight for the very first time. Would you just raise your hand nice and high in the air, nice and high, and I want to pray for you. Let's pray for them, church. God, I pray for them. God, we thank you that, God, we can receive your goodness. God, we, the gospel, the good news is the fact that you have received us already. 
and it is just us receiving the truth that you have received us fully into your presence. I pray that every single person that received you tonight as their Lord and their Savior, they would find comfort in you, and they would find peace in you, and they would find hope in you. And God, I pray that we would have boldness to go to the lost, to go to people that need us, to go to people that don't have hope, and share the hope that we have found, God. May we be a bold generation in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.